I want to continue on, uh, I guess, kind of polish or finish up the message I gave uh, during the uh, anniversary meetings. And I was in prayer. Uh, Pastor had an uh, Acts 13 min meeting with some ministers that came in town. And uh, so during the time of prayer, uh, the Lord pointed something out to me. And so I'm bringing that to you tonight. And so we'll finish and wrap this up and um, praise the Lord. So uh, he said, um, he said to me when I was praying, the Lord said, uh, said to my heart, uh, you miss one thing in your message on honor. You brought out dishonor and unbelief in the passage, but you forgot one. So we're going to go back and we're going to look and then we're going to go forward from there. All right. So in Mark chapter six, verse one, let's start there. And uh, he said, and then he went out from there and carry, uh, came to his house, came to his own country. And, his, and I'm reading from the New King James. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the, in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these, uh, these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that which such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joas, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, uh, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And, uh, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went out, uh, went about the villages in a circuit teaching. And let's look at it in the New King James. I'm sorry, New Living Translation, starting at verse 1. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. Then next uh, Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And uh, then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the son, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus uh, told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. So at the time of teaching, what I pointed out, uh, it stood out to me, was about uh, dishonor and unbelief. But when I was praying, he said, you forgot one. And the one that I forgot was they were offended at him. And in the New, King, uh, the New Living Translation said they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. So Jesus was without honor in his own hometown and they showed him no honor because of unbelief, because of dishonor, and because of offense. Deeply offended. So let's look at that word offense. You ready? You got your steel stole shoes on tonight? Praise the Lord. I got it first, so I got my boots on, so praise the Lord. 
So that word offense right there is defined as, in the Strong's, uh, scan, scandalizo or scandalizo. Uh, it means to entrap, to trip up, to stumble, or entice to sin. Apostasy or displeasure. Make to offend. So I, when I saw this definition in Strong's, I thought, that is not what I thought offense was. Uh, to put a stumbling block or impediment in the way upon which another may trip and fall to offend. To entice to sin. This is all the definition under offense. To entice to sin. To cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. So it says that they were offended. So they to, were in this position of to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. To cause to fall away. To be offended in one. To see in another what I disapprove of. And what hinders me from acknowledging his authority. So this is a direct yeah, from the word scandal on. And it says, uh, this is applied to Jesus Christ, whose person and career were so contrary to the expectations of the Jews concerning the Messiah that they rejected him and by their uh, obstinacy made shipwreck of their salvation. It's pretty strong, isn't it? So to be offended in one, to see in another what I disprove of and what hinders me from acknowledging his authority. So when they were offended, they're saying, you don't have any authority. But they saw what he did and heard about the miracles and everything and knew he had authority over demons. They knew he had authority over sickness, all those things. But they chose the road of offense. And it says that they didn't benefit, that uh, in their rejecting him by their obstinacy made shipwreck of their salvation. So uh, what, the, uh, what this means is this, that because they are scandalous or offended by Jesus, because they could not humble themselves, they missed out. So by unbelief, by dishonor, and by offense, they could not receive what God had for them. This, this is the second account where they rejected him. There's another account in Luke chapter 4. So let's go to Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And this is the account where Jesus came out of the wilderness. Y'all remember that John the Baptist uh, baptized him. He came up out of the water. Uh, the father said, this is my son, beloved son, in whom I will please. And it says, by the spirit he was led. And one translation says driven out into the desert, which I don't fully understand. Uh, maybe that's one of those mysteries we'll ask about when we get to heaven. But he was out in the wilderness and was tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights. Y'all remember? And so when that was over, it says that he came, um, he returned, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. 
So he came to Nazareth when he had been brought up, and as his custom was, so Jesus' custom was to go to church. Praise the Lord. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to, the, to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And we had opened the book. He found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. And then he begins to give his job description. The job description of the anointing. To preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And get recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And in the amplified of that verse, that last verse 19, it says, The year when the free favors of God, salvation, and the free favors of God profusely abound. Anybody heard about that lately? profuse favor and so Jesus said it was upon him he was anointed to proclaim the year of salvation and when the um, when free favors of God would profusely abound then he closed the book and gave it to the attendant and sat down this is what I believe is Jesus uh, dropped the mic moment <laughs> so he said what he needed to say gave him the book sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And what did they say? This is, not, is this not Joseph's son? So they go back to what they're familiar with. And let's go to verse 28. So Jesus, in the process, you know, from 22 on, tells them some things. And then verse 28. So all those in the synagogue that heard these things were filled with wrath. Let's pause for a moment. That word wrath in the Greek is the word themos, or it's pronounced thumos, rage. So they were filled with rage. Passion if, uh, as if breathing hard. <sighs> Fierceness. Rrr. Those are my sound effects. <laughs> Indignation. <sighs> I don't know if I got all of them. Angry. Heat. Anger forthwith boiling up. And soon subsiding again. So let's just say they're a little mad at Jesus. And so it goes on to say, and rose up, so they were wrath, filled with, filled with wrath, the word says, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow, I mean, they mad. They led him to the brow of the hill of which they, uh, of their city was, was built, that they might throw him over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Jesus just walked through the middle of them. They didn't even see him. Those who had, uh, <clears throat> so those who had opportunity to know Jesus rejected him. The familiarity of him being uh, Mary's boy, uh, Joseph's brother, uh, Joseph's son, all the other Judas's brother, all that, his sisters, they live with us. All of that caused them not to be able to receive. So they were, uh, they were in unbelief. They were in dishonor. 
and they were offended at him. And there, this it says they were King James wrath. King James says wrath. So, and here in the New King James says wrath. But so they were enraged, angry at him to the point of they're going to throw him off a cliff. So they've got God in the flesh in the midst of them. And they know he's performing miracles and heard about him performing miracles. But they could not forget that he was just one of them. He grew up around them. They couldn't even think, could God anoint him? And they had their thought of what Messiah would be. But it can't be him. He's Joseph's boy. The carpenter around the corner where you got your dining room table from, that's his boy, right? It can't be him. And to the point where they could not receive him. So twice, they rejected him. So there is something about having a spirit of honor that can release mighty works in our life. And we looked at that a little bit. So our reception is uh, our invitation for him to come in and do his mighty works in our life. Amen? Our receiving him, even though he might be somebody familiar, and may even be come bring it down to, uh, you know, a, a little boy from Indiana, <laughs> Illinois, uh-huh. a little girl from Florida. To break it down to where we live. Right? Right? Somebody you know. Somebody, you know, that that God's anointed. That you have to make a decision about. They carry something for me, for my life. And so I'm going to value what God's done in them so that what they have for me, I can receive. So just because they're not your favorite singer, just because they're not your favorite preacher. I remember we were at um, the Southwest Believers Convention a few years ago. And uh, so uh, Ollie and Nadra were there and uh, we were sitting together and everything. So the uh, speaker, current speaker was speaking and we had our journals out and everything, writing notes. And so uh, the next speaker was coming up and I thought, oh, you know, I just put my journal away. And so what I said, uh, I said to them, I said, you know, they're not going to say anything that I'm going to need to write down or anything like that. And Nadra uh, was brave and said to me, well, Pastor B, you can learn anything from anybody. And I went, all right, I'll get my journal out. So I got my journal. And believe it or not, because I value what they were doing, I received something from them. Amen. So if you just turn your heart off and you think, and eh, they are in, you know, whatever, you're not going to receive anything from them. Hallelujah. So, hallelujah. So our reception matters. And our reception is not the thermostat for the body of Christ. We don't set, you know, okay, and, and that's what I was doing in that instance. I was said, okay, this person... You know, they, they're this and they that, and I'm not going to get anything from them. But when I changed the thermostat of my heart, because yeah. it had to do with my heart. Yeah. So when I changed the thermostat of my heart, I received something from them. Yeah. Believe it or not, they had something to say that was of value to me. Yeah. But they didn't change. I changed. Yeah. Yeah. The position of my heart changed. Right? Yeah. Hallelujah. So let's go to Matthew Chapter 10, 41. 
And here it says, um, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. You receive and get what they have, and you receive, you receive, as you receive that office, like in that instance, as I received that office into my life uh, and uh, the place of authority they had, I received something from them. So um, <clears throat> for you to honor that place where God has placed them and raised them up to. So Jesus is saying here in this uh, scripture that if you uh, receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. So there was a reward from that particular speaker that God was trying to get to me, but I wasn't receiving them in them being sent from God to give something to me. So, you know, we might not like somebody. We might not, uh, we might disagree. And y'all, we're living in a time where now where you can't agree to disagree. People cut you off. I'm done with you. This whole, and I've said it a couple of times, this whole cancel culture kind of thing, you know, if you say something wrong, you know, what if God had been that way with us? Where would we be? We would be on roller skates going straight to hell. It's what we would be. He had cut us off like that. And so extending grace and extending mercy. So even as we disagree, can you honor the office that the person stands in? Even if you might disagree with something they might say or, you know, they might, you know, a pastor says this all the time. Preaching is an art form. It's not a science. And so we might get a scripture verse, uh, the reference wrong. Can you just extend some grace? <laughs> we get the scripture wrong. We might do half of a scripture here and a half. Just extend some grace. It's not perfected. The only person that ever walked on the planet that was perfect his name is? Jesus. We sang about him tonight. He's the only one. All the rest of us has to be, we need some extended grace. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, Romans 3, uh, 7 says, Render therefore to all uh, their due and tribute to whom tribute, custom to whom custom, fear or reverence to whom ever reverence, honor to whom honor. And uh, verse 1 of that passage of that uh, chapter says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authorities that exist that are, uh, there are authorities that exist are appointed by God. So the authorities that are in place, they are appointed by God. Hallelujah. People in our, on our job, people in our life, people God has put us under, uh, God has put them in that place. And, you know, there may be times when, uh, depending on the position, they may be less qualified than you. Wow, it got really quiet right there. They may be less qualified than you. That doesn't mean that you respect them or honor them any less because of the place that God has put them in authority. And so honor... In our own life, it establishes the standard in our life, right? So we're talking about honor and talking about offense. So no matter how someone acts, we should not get over into a spirit of dishonor. So no matter how someone else acts, that doesn't justify us acting in a way that's dishonorable. It's a position of the heart again. And we live in a culture, even in the church, where so many people have a spirit of dishonor and are easily offended. 
a tweet, a post, a text message, a look. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Someone takes your parking space at Kroger's. Pastor Robert didn't hear me. I'm in trouble. Kroger. Someone sit in your seat. Let's get it right down where we live. Hallelujah. I heard this quote the other day, and I really like this. Um, uh, It's a pastor. I had not uh, read after him or watched him before, but he said this, and I really liked it. He said, if you are on a perpetual search for offense, you will always find it. If you are on a perpetual search for offense, you will always find it. There's offense everywhere. Why? Because there's imperfect people. And we are imperfect people. So you're going to find it anywhere. So if you don't have a spirit of honor, for, honor you're, going to find ex, you're going to find offense everywhere. Everywhere. In everything. Right? And so living in a generation uh, that is popular to be offended, is uh, popular to dishonor, uh, comedians, uh, people on television, TV shows, show dishonor all the time and if we're feeding on that and and getting that in us we have a tendency to tip over into that as well and it's just part of it's just part of the air of our culture today but we are to hold up the standard of what God wants us to and he wants us to be people of honor Amen. amen and so um I mentioned the other night that I grew up in a time where we were forced to honor you didn't have a choice (laughs) <laughs> praise the Lord, but to honor, glory to God, or there is consequences for dishonoring, <laughs> you know, and uh, we got to have a train, y'all ever encounter the train coming to church, praise the Lord, and uh, so there's a train down here on Wild Triana, and at times when I'm sitting there, you see the cars go by, uh, the train cars go by, and there's graffiti written on the side of those those cars, and I have to watch, like getting upset because that right there to me is dishonor. So you're not respecting somebody else's property. Right? So to honor our, you know, honor our school teachers, honor authority, honor our mother and our father. And we're going to talk about that here in just a, a little bit. So no matter how anyone else acts, we are going to have a spirit of honor. And we're not going to have a spirit of dishonor about us. And if they're acting dishonorably, we, I, we're going to act. We're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for them. Hallelujah. And we're, in a, uh, we're getting ready to be in a political cycle. It's coming up. Next year is an election year. And it's already starting to amping up. So even in that, you're going to have to watch yourself. Next week at Thanksgiving, (laughs) praise the Lord, at your relatives, at your house or their house, this comes into play, right? So, you know, I've I've gotten to where I refuse to to argue politics and religion. Jesus said this, yay or nay, you accept, don't accept. That's my answer, you know. Uh, you're, you're a woman in the ministry. Not my problem. If you got a problem with it, not my problem. You're going to have to talk to him about that. I had an uncle, 
uh, years ago at my grandmother's funeral. He was, I was sitting in a pew, and he came up behind me, and he asked me, he said, what do you do for a living? And I said, I work at a church. And uh, he said, uh, he said, work at a church? And I said, yeah. He said, well, what do you do, do there? I said, I'm a minister on staff at the church. He said, no, 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 no. What you do to make money? And I said, I am full-time on staff at a church. And he said, but you're a woman. And I said, uh-huh. And uh, he said, but you can't, you can't preach because you're a woman. And I said, uh, he called me. And if you got a problem with it, you need to talk to him about it. And so he wanted to argue. I said, nope. So I just sat there. He's arguing, giving his whatever. And nope, I'm not going to argue with you. He called me. If you got a problem with it, you need to talk to him. Praise the Lord. Well, praise the Lord. Let's move on. So no matter how anyone acts, else acts, we're not to ask, act dishonorably. So, uh, you know, I mentioned to you the other night about Moses and how his uh, brother and sister, his siblings, uh, were coming at him about who he married. And uh, with that, you know, I was just kind of sitting and meditating uh, on that whole deal. And what I was reminded of was God was defending his friend. He called Moses his friend. Anybody remember how Moses got to the backside of a desert? He killed a man. He killed an Egyptian. And uh, because he was striking uh, an Israelite. And he killed a man, buried him in the sand. And then the next day, he was, back, I guess, back in the same area, and two um, uh, Hebrews were fighting. And so he was uh, asking them, you know, what this is about, what are you doing? And they said, are you going to kill us just like you did the Egyptian the day before? And somehow uh, it got to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh started looking for him to kill him. And then he went on the lamb. He, <laughs> I'm out of here. And so uh, do you know that in that passage, that those two Hebrew men and Pharaoh were the only ones that brought up that he killed an Egyptian? I looked for it. When he called him, when Moses looked up on that mountain and saw that burning bush, when he got there, the Lord said, you can't be here because you killed somebody. He said, take your shoes off because this is holy ground. He didn't say a word to him about killing that Egyptian man. However, when the Lord told him to speak to the rock, rather, and he, strike, he struck the rock instead of speaking to it, he said, you can't go in and possess in the promised land. So God's idea of the, I'm not provoking or saying it's okay to go out and kill anybody. So don't even go out of here and say, I'm going to go out here, I'm going to heal somebody and pass, and the Lord's going to forgive me about it. So I don't know what their deal was. Maybe it wasn't important for us to know. But as far as scripture that we have, God did not even address it with Moses. But he called him to free his people. And so what we think is a big deal in a tweet, in a post, in a family member, saying something they ought not say, like my uncle did, whatever, we think is a big deal. But Moses was sent to deliver three to six million people to save them alive. <laughs> Let's look at, um, well, I'm just going to mention this. 
So God never addressed that with him. And you know, murder is one of the big 10, right? It's number six out of the big 10. And uh, that's in Exodus 20, 12. And we're not going to go there and look at that. But um, so having a a spirit of dishonor can put us on a wrong path. To put us in a, a bad place. Uh, to honor God, to honor authority, regardless of what the press, what anybody is saying, we are to be people of honor. And may there continue to be a spirit of honor in this house. So let's look at Ephesians, uh, let's see, Ephesians 6. Well, let's see. Let's go to Exodus 20, 12. <clears throat> Exodus 20, 12. So we're talking about maintaining or keeping a spirit of honor. We're talking about keeping unbelief out, keeping dishonor out, keeping offense out. And so here in Exodus 20, 12, it says, Children, honor your parents, your mother and your father, so you, shall, so you will live long. Um, so you will live, let's see, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. 3? 6-3. Ephesians (laughs) 6-3. And it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. So honor your father and mother, which uh, is the first commandment with promise. And may it go well with you and may you live long upon the earth. So in uh, the Lord pointing out that about offense, he reminded me of something in my life. And uh, I wanted to share that with you just a little bit and uh, just to kind of, I guess, emphasize why uh, it's such a, a wrong thing, a wrong place to be, and what kind of position it puts you in when you allow offense uh, in your life. Uh, in growing up, uh, I uh, am the only girl in my family, and um, so uh, at one time in my life, uh, things were not very good between my dad and I. And uh, let's just suffice it to say that uh, someone who was to protect you were the one was the person that hurt you. And uh, so <clears throat> years, I left home, went off to college and all of that. And uh, I, at age 22, gave my life to the Lord. And then, uh, you know, I, uh, after that, you know, I was annoying uh, in trying to get people to come to God and, you know, uh, trying to make people get born again, corner them, you know, that kind of thing. Obnoxious was the word. And uh, so, uh, so even with my dad, I tried to talk to him about getting born again. And he said, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. And when I get old, I'll uh, receive the Lord. And, uh, and I said, well, good luck with that. I hope that happens for you. So with that, um, my mom uh, had some heart issues. And uh, so in 2005, uh, she had surgery and ended up passing away. And so uh, being the, old, the oldest girl, oldest child and only girl, uh, everybody looked to me to take care of everything regarding the funeral plans and all of that. 
So uh, we had the funeral, all of that was done, and uh, my brother and I were the last ones left at the house. And so, you know, we never really heard our dad tell us that he loved us, that he was proud of us or anything, and so uh, in this moment he was sharing and talking with us about, you know, how proud he was of us and he loved us. But while he was talking, in my head, I am thinking, I have this opportunity to say to you everything I ever wanted to say to you right now. So I, you know how Charlie Brown's teacher sounds, you know? So he was sounding like Charlie Brown's teacher to me, but in my head, I am plotting my attack. And so <clears throat> my brother, uh, we walk him, you know how we Southerners do, we walk him out to the car uh, on the porch and then to the car and then while you're in the car, we're talking to you and all that. So he ended up leaving, uh, my brother ended up leaving. And so uh, uh, we ended, it was right before we went out with my brother, the Lord said to me, he said, you have every moral right to say to your dad what you want to say. He said, but wouldn't it be better if you brought him to my throne? I said, Lord, you don't play fair. You don't play fair. So after my brother left, uh, we came back in the house. And so I said to my dad, I said, uh, Dad, I, uh, today I had Mom's Bible, and I read in the back of her Bible when she uh, uh, signed it and notated the date that she received Jesus as her Savior. And uh, a long time from now, I want to be able to do that for you. Will you let me? Pray with you to receive Jesus as your Savior. And he reached across and handed me his hand. And I prayed with my dad to receive Jesus. And uh, so, <clears throat> and of course, you know, I called pastors and told them everything, crying profusely and all that. And then after that, his, he, he changed his persona. He started going to church. He even started doing the offering in church. He started singing in the choir and different things like that. And uh, at some point in time, I'm not exactly sure uh, what happened, but uh, he started slipping back into his old ways and that kind of thing. So <clears throat> in 2011, I had just uh, purchased a new home, and I wanted to be in my home and, uh, for the holidays. So uh, uh, that day, everybody was home, and uh, I, I called to wish everybody Thanksgiving and all of that. And so uh, he gets on the phone and asking, you know, why didn't you come home and all this? And I told him I just wanted to stay home for the holidays. And, uh, and he said something to me on the phone that just hurt me. I mean bad. And uh, to the point where I couldn't talk to him anymore on the phone. And it was my daughter's phone. He, uh, I asked him to give the phone back to her. And then, you know, just ruined my Thanksgiving altogether anyway. And uh, so from 2011 to 2019, I never saw or talked to my dad again. And what happened was I got offended at what my dad said to me. And not only did I get offended, a root of bitterness took root in my life. And I didn't realize what was happening uh, <clears throat> and that it had that much of an impact on me. I started suffering in my health. I started suffering in other areas and relationships. 
And so uh, with that, that offense, what Jesus said, <laughs> us, for us not to be an offense, um, it became my badge. I was angry. Remember we reread what anger meant? I was enraged. I was uh, boiling on the inside. And, uh, and so when I was even around, I realized that even being around my daughter, that my offense affected her and her relationship with her grandfather. She picked up my offense. So it wasn't enough that I was offended and hurt. I was spewing my seeds over into somebody else's garden and affecting their relationship with a person of honor in their life. And again, when, even though a person uh, that's in a place of honor, even if they act dishonorably, that doesn't mean that we don't act with honor. So <clears throat> in 2019, December 2019, I'm on vacation in Pensacola. And uh, so uh, I'm spending time with the Lord, you know, just having a good time watching the water and the dolphins and all that. So at a time of quietness, the Lord said, I want you to write a letter to your dad. And I went, change channels. And uh, so he kept dinging me. So nowhere, reading your Bible, we ain't going nowhere with that. Trying to worship, we ain't going nowhere with that. And so get quiet again. I want you to read, write a letter to your dad. And, um, and so during that year, early in 2019, uh, he, the Lord started dealing with me about these verses. Children, honor your parents, your mother and your father, so, it will, so you will live long. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you, and you may live long upon the earth. So earlier that year, because uh, I was just in my heart going, I don't know how to honor someone who's being dishonorable. I don't know how to do that. But I know when I was growing up, mom used this a lot because, to make us behave. Honor your parents. <laughs> God's looking at you, you know, that kind of thing. And so it was ingrained in me. But I knew there was a time coming when my dad was going to be here. And so this started dinging me. The Holy Ghost, unfair, uh, just started messing with me, you know, about it. So I remember one day sitting at my desk, and uh, a magazine came in the mail. And it was a Kenneth Copeland magazine. And it, on the front of the cover, it says, How to Honor Your Parents. And I went, that is not fair. <laughs> so, of course, I opened it and read the article. And one of the things he said in that article that, you know, because it's easy to honor your parents if your parents were good to you. But what do you do if your parents have not been good to you? And one of the things he said is find the good. Find the good. So I'm sitting uh, in Pensacola on the beach, and the Lord is dinging me, and he's trying to help me to find the good. So he said, um, he said, just write down things that you can be thankful for, that you can say, thank you for teaching me this. Thank you for so I said, thank you for teaching me how to tie my shoes. Thank you for teaching me how to drive. Thank you for giving me a good work ethic. And just things, you know, kind of like that. And, uh, and so I started writing those things down. So this is like Thursday. So on Sunday, a friend of mine lived down there, and uh, we went to church together. So after church, I'm headed back to the condo, and the Lord said, I want you to go to Mobile and read your letter to your dad. 
which is like 30 minutes away. You know, you go over the Bankhead Bridge, no big deal. You know, I went, no, I'm not going. So I'm headed back, and he said, I want you to go and, uh, and read that letter to your dad. I said, no, sir, I'm not doing it. And so God comes and gets in the car with you. And uh, I went, okay. So I turned the car around <laughs> and uh, went to Mobile. So when I get there, uh, the nurse uh, asked me who I was looking for, and I told him. He said, uh, I'll take you to his room. So he took me to, is that a nursing home? So he takes me to his room, and um, so we get to his room. He's not in there, and he said, I think he's at the nurse's station. So we took it to the nurse's station. Sure enough, he's sitting there. And so this is the first time I've seen my dad since before 2011, and, uh, and he doesn't look like my dad. Not only that, he looks up at me, and he doesn't know who I am. He said, you look like a Tolliver, but I don't know your name. And I'm his oldest child. And so it just crushed me. So I went in his room, started bawling my eyes out and going, why did you send me here? Why did you, do? you know, to the Lord. And uh, I was getting ready to bolt. And uh, my brother and sister-in-law and the kids come down the hallway. So we bring him into his room and everything. And my sister-in-law is doing everything she can to get my name out of his mouth. And he can't do it. So he looks over in the corner of the room, and he said, hey, there's a guy standing over there. We all look. There's no guy standing over there. He said, he's there all the time. It's like he's waiting for something. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at each other thinking, yeah, what, what is happening, you know? And uh, so we stayed and visit. I went out to dinner with my brother uh, and sister-in-law and the kids. And uh, so uh, I decided I'm going back to the condo. And the Lord said, and I drove back over the bridge. <laughs> and so uh, he gets in my car again. He won't leave me alone. And so I pulled over a gas station, just profusely crying. And, uh, and he's not letting me off the hook. And he said, you can believe he said this to me or not. It's the way he talks to me. Get your butt back over there and read your letter to your dad. <laughs> and so I turn around and go back across the bridge again. And so when I get there, my dad is asleep. And I start crying again. I go, Lord, he's asleep. I can't read my letter to him. And uh, he said, uh, Belinda, his spirit can hear you. Read your letter. So I pulled my phone out, and I began to read my letter to my dad. And those things, uh, thank you for showing me how to tie my shoe. Thank you for uh, your mom getting together and uh, me being your first child. Thank you for teaching me how to drive. Thank you for, uh, you know, taking care of my daughter while I was in uh, going to school, uh, to college. You know, different things that I could think of. And then at the end of my letter, I said, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you in heaven so that you can be the dad that I wanted on the earth. And, uh, and I told him that I loved him. And uh, I walked out and I knew that would be the last time I saw my dad. So fast forward to March 2020. COVID hits, right? So in June of 2020, I get a phone call from my brother saying that dad's got COVID and they're gonna put him in uh, uh, the hospital. And, uh, uh, and he got COVID twice. And so what happened was COVID accelerated his symptoms in his body 
six years, according to the doctor. He could have lived another six years if he hadn't gotten COVID. And so he's telling us, you're going to have to make decisions about him, uh, what you want to do. Do you want a DNR? Do you want us to revive him? Da-da-da-da-da. And um, so my brothers are handling everything in the natural financially and physically, medically with him and all of that. And, uh, and so I'm kind of staying in on the periphery of everything. Uh, so the second time he went into the hospital, um, I was in here walking and praying one morning. It was a Wednesday. And there, the doctors are really dinging my brothers about, you, you need to put something in place because it's going to happen pretty soon. So I'm in here uh, walking, and, um, and the Lord said, you need to call the hospital and talk to the chaplain and ask the chaplain if he could do these three things. So he said to uh, uh, have the chaplain ask him, well, at first I was going to ask him if he could take a phone and I could talk to him, but they couldn't do that. So he said, um, uh, tell him that if he wants to go, it's okay for him to go. Uh, tell him that you love him and tell him if there's anything that he needs to take care of between him and Jesus, um, that he needs to get that taken care of before he sees him. And I had prayed uh, that my dad uh, not suffer and that when he closed his eyes, he would wake up in heaven. So, so this is on Wednesday. So I told the chaplain, called the chaplain, told him all that. So the chaplain went to the room, did everything that I asked him to do, and he comes back and he calls me back. And uh, so he said, Miss Tolliver, he said, I did everything that you requested of me uh, with your dad. Uh, and so he was on a ventilator, and, uh, but he could only bat his eyes or squeeze a hand you know, to acknowledge. And so he said, um, uh, I told him that uh, his daughter from Huntsville, Belinda, called. And he said when he did that, a tear came down his eye. And so, of course, you know, that was a gift to me because the Lord knew that the last time I saw him, he didn't know who I was. And, uh, and he said, second of all, I told him that if he wanted to go ahead and be, go with, uh, and be with Jesus, that you guys were okay with it and that, uh, you know, uh, that uh, you'll be fine, you know, you'll, you'll see him later. And then the third thing was if there was anything that he needed to ask forgiveness for or if he needed to forgive, that he needed to do that. And he said, I prayed with him, and we got that taken care of. And he said, thank you for the honor of me doing that. He said, I don't get to do that often with people. And so thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that with your father. So later that day, Wednesday, he rallies. He comes off the ventilator. My brother and sister-in-law walks in the room. He goes, party! You know, and they're looking around thinking, what in the world is going on? And uh, so I don't know if he's seeing the cloud of witnesses or what's happening. And uh, so uh, they get him ready. Uh, they want to keep him overnight uh, and then uh, just to observe. And then on Thursday, they send him back to the nursing home. So everybody's thinking he's going to rally. Everything's fine, you know. And then uh, he goes to sleep. He eats his favorite meal, gets his bath. He goes to bed. And on Friday morning, I get the phone call. He's, he's gone. He woke up in heaven. And so uh, in August of that year, um, you know, so we uh, have a service and everything for him. And um, so August of that year, um, I'm sitting at home, and I get uh, a ding on my phone, and it's a, 
a nice little financial blessing. And it's from one of my brothers and uh, one of the ones that helped take care of my dad. And so he did that with all the family members and everything. And um, so later that night, I'm sitting there and just, you know, thankful to the Lord. And, you know, my heart turned towards him. And the Lord said this to me. He said, because you honored your father and made sure that he would see me on this side and your brothers uh, took care of his financial and his physical and medical needs, he said, it will go well with you. This very scripture that I was concerned about, he said, it will go well with you. And of course, you know, I hit my knees right there in the house and, uh, and uh, just profusely thanking the Lord because he knew this was bothering me. What my dad did was dishonorable. But it did not mean that I could not be honorable. So people in our lives that may be dishonorable to us doesn't mean that we take the offense and we hold on to that offense because offense costs you something. It costs you. It costs me in my physical health. It costs me in relationships. It costs me in time. It costs me in anger. It costs me. And when we hold on to offense, what we are saying, when God tells us to forgive, what we are saying, my offense is greater than what you're telling me to forgive. What did God say to Eli? He said, you honor your, your children above me. And so when we hold on to offense, what we're saying, we're honoring our offense. I can't let go of it. Do you know what they did? He knows. But offense holds you in prison, not them. A lot of times they're not even thinking about what they did. They've gone on to something else or somebody else. But offense holds us in prison. And when we honor and we do the right thing, the mighty works, the great things that God has for us are lined up for us, and we can receive those things when we get rid of offense. He said it was important enough for me to even say that tonight, and I was hesitant even by, to talk about uh, the part about my dad, um, you know, because even after people want to ask questions, and it doesn't matter what it was. It doesn't matter what it was. God said you need to forgive. And so, I pose the question to you. What do you have that you're holding on to? That God has mighty works or miraculous things lined up for you. But offense is more important to you than what he said or what he has held in reserve for you. I am nobody special. God had to get in my car to make me go, y'all. He had to make me do it. But on this side of it, I have no regret. Zero regret. I have family members that have regret. And since that happened, I've had opportunity to talk to my daughter. And where I was putting offense and bitterness and all of that into her, because I was in offense and all of that, I have reversed that in her life 
and talking to her and where God is opening up some things in her life. So getting it out of you helps you to put the right thing in other people around you. But when you let that stuff, it, I'm telling you, even in my physical body, things were happening that uh, the doctor was even stumped at. They went, I, you don't want to be in that kind of place. And when I got that, I started digging that stuff out. My health turned around. Things started turning around. Honor and offense. What's greater? Honoring his word, honoring what he tells us, honoring what he tells us to get out. And I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do. It was not easy to do. I still have family members who are still angry because I was angry, upset because I was upset. And I'm having to backtrack and work that out. And even telling, you know, your ills, your things that you have. You're going to have to work that through and try to get them to do it beforehand. And they have regret. But I have zero regret. I'm so thankful that God dealt with me and dealt with my heart to get those, that ugly stuff out of my heart so that it could go well with me and live long upon the earth. Is anything that somebody did uh, wrong, is it right? No, that's not what God is saying. God is saying for it to be right with you, you have to get that offense out. Father God, Father, there may be people in this very room that need to let go of things. There may be even people in this room that might need to forgive you as they're angry with you about something that didn't go right in their life. Father, I just thank you for this moment and for as we are sitting here before you. If there is anything any of us are carrying that we watch over our garden of our heart. You tell us in Proverbs to guard our heart with all diligence because out of it, out of our heart flow the issues of life. And so, Father, I just thank you. Right here in this room, there may be some that identified something or readily knew of something that they were walking in offense about. And you're wanting them to walk in a place of honor so that you can honor them. And so, Father, I'm asking you to help with your anointing that you will pour in the oil and you will pour in the wine. And Father, bring uh, that healing balm to them and pour it into that place. 
And that, Father, it means more of them to let go of that. To honor you and honor your word. And receive what you've held in reserve for them for this time. Father, you're taking us somewhere in you. Further into your glory. Further into the mighty works of your power. To the greater works than these that Jesus spoke about. But while we're uh, at this memorial place in our life, we leave it in the water. <laughs> we leave it in the water. And we go on to possess that which you have apprehended for us. Is not greater. That offense is not greater. That place of dishonor is not greater. And Father, we let go. We let go of those things to press on, to press on to the greater, to press on to the higher way. Father, you've got some great things out ahead for us. And you're asking us, you can't go through this door carrying that. And so even in the next few weeks, even if we're with family, that maybe readily we were reminded of tonight. You show us how to get rid of those things so that we can be a witness to your glory, to your goodness. And as we honor you, you said you will honor us. We're so thankful. So thankful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God.